Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crowe, and former Benfica Chelsea FA Cup winning left-back, it's Scott Minto. Uh, on the programme today, Manchester City win the treble. Congratulations to them, magnificent achievement. Is this the best ever English side in history, we'll ask that question. Um, how are the achievements tainted by the 115 charges against them? And we'll get the latest from the rest of the Premier League too, including all the transfer gossip and the new appointments in terms of the manager dugout as well. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome along to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Um, I'm a little bit, I'm going to be, this might as well just lay cards on table here because I, I think you can probably tell from my voice. I'm not in tip-top shape. I know that's not illness. It's just because I went out until about 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, it was soccer aid last night. As far as I'm concerned, that's the end of the season, Scott. So um, that meant that I had to, I didn't have to, but I decided to indulge quite a lot. And then I woke up this morning, realised I had to do a podcast and panicked just a little bit. I, I think you do have to, Sam. I think you should celebrate the end of the season. And what better way to celebrate the end of the season than having a few drinks in a very late night? You may be feeling the pain right now, and maybe you deserve to be feeling the pain right now, but we all have to go through it. We've all been there, Sam. We'll, we'll hold your hand through the show if need be. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was partying last night with uh, England uh, legend, goal scorer in the European Championship final, Ella Toon. Uh, and a fella last night. What a lovely, lovely person she is, by the way. Uh, we had a good old chat. Uh, Scalzi, um, Scalzi, who pulled his groin during the uh, during the soccer aid, just sat down at a table uh, and parted that way through the evening. Um, but not a bad cameo, I thought, from Scalzi yesterday. Came off the bench at halftime, played 10 minutes, turned the game on its head and then hobbled off. Brilliant. <laughs> What more could you do? There were a few bumps and bruises, weren't there? Usain Bolt hobbled off as well. What was that? A torn hamstring. It was um it was an interesting game, shall we say. <laughs> Dawson Michael Dawson came off the bench at halftime. He only lasted about fifteen minutes as well. He pulled his hamstring <laughs> within about uh after his first tackle. Oh dear. Uh, right, okay, let's get on with it because it was a uh, huge weekend this weekend uh, for Manchester City. They've become the second English side to win a treble. They've beaten Inter Milan in the Champions League final. I suppose the question now is, how good are they? Well, Manchester City have won 43 games this season. Number 44 provides them with footballing immortality. Is this their night of European glory, of the treble, of history? The 2023 Champions League final is underway. Today was our year, but in the past, don't do it. Of course, very incredible, satisfied for the something unique, the treble for this club. Oh, terrible mistake. Lautaro Martinez is inside the penalty area. Edison has come out and spared Akanji's blushes. There's certainly an element of nerves that's emulating straight through the, the core of this Manchester City lineup. Yeah, we're not the biggest club in the world. Every City fan accepts that, yep. but we are the best team. It's Bernardo Silva back in, and on the edge of the area, it's falling in! And Manchester City lead! It's Rodri with a goal that could be one of the most historic in Manchester City's Long, long, storied history. Rodri, oh 
my God, what a player, Roger. That's our worst performance of the season. Yeah. Well, they kept believing and they kept believing and they kept believing and they kept believing and we did it. And I think this spells danger for everybody. Manchester City have won the Champions League. The treble delivered. Manchester City 1, Inter Milan 0. Crooks just got back from Istanbul. City becoming the second English side to complete a treble. It becomes the only manager to do a treble twice, having done it with Barcelona in 2008 9, and now with Manchester City. And although, look, it wasn't the greatest game of football that you'll ever see, it was a magnificent achievement. And, and first of all, Scott, we, we should pay tribute to that because winning the treble. I know there's a lot of sort of discussion about the money that's been spent and the 115 charges by the, the, the Premier League, but just to separate the, the politics from the football for a second, it's an amazing thing to do to win three trophies in one season. It, do you know what, Sam? And, and it's, you're, you're right to separate it. Um, so let's talk about the football side. Look, I, I don't know if I need to go over again what I think about Pep Guardiola and the manager that he is. And I think we'll look back at, and again, it's all very subjective, but for me, he will be the, seen as the best manager ever. Um, for him to do that with Barcelona and then again to, to Manchester City, for him to, for Karl-Heinz Rummenigge to have said, look, he hasn't won the treble like Jürgen Heinz did, but he's improved Bayern Munich. Um I think it's just sensational. And I'm listening to Talk Sport on the radio this morning and hearing that the odds of doing the treble again are 14 to 1. I mean, we're almost taking this Manchester City team for granted because to win the treble, as, as Crookie well knows, you know, it's only ever been done once before. It's just incredibly difficult to get your mind right for the right end of the season. One, to put yourself into that position for the treble, and then two, to see it out as well. Wasn't a great performance. I wasn't, you know, overly impressed with them or how they played, but it doesn't matter. It's a European final. I don't think we had a good European final, did we, out the three of them? It was about finding a way to win. And this was a different layer to them. And they found a way to win against what was a very stubborn interside. Yeah, and uh, they had chances as well to, to to get on the score sheet, especially late in the game. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, but Crook, a, a treble is important. Doing it is historic for... The club, Manchester City, obviously it's not the first time it's been done. Manchester City, uh, obviously second behind Manchester United in that. In, in terms of what it was like being at the arena itself and watching the celebrations after, what was the feeling amongst Pep Guardiola, his players, straight after the game? Because I spoke to, a, uh, to, to an official high up in another Premier League club yesterday who said to me, do you know what, they've got every chance of doing it again next season. They are that good. Yeah, and I think for that reason, maybe their celebrations weren't quite as exuberant as United in 99, maybe with the exception of Jack Grealish. A lot of the City players seem to be taking it in their stride. I think the feel amongst the fans was relief more than joy because this European mm -hmm. Cup has become uh, an issue for them. They've had opportunities to, to win it and fallen short. And I think when you look to the team selection, actually, it won't matter now, but I, I do think Pep made a mistake by not starting Carl Walker. I do think that affected... Manchester City's performance. Nobody will talk about it because ultimately they won the game, but they were very fortunate to win the game. Did he have a slight injury? I heard he, he had a slight injury. I think in his television interview, Pep said it was tactical. Um, but mm. either way, it, it wasn't a vintage Man City performance. I think it was a nervous performance given the enormity of the occasion. But I'm not going to judge them in one game because it was the same for, for United in 99. They weren't great in the final against Bayern Munich. But sometimes you just sense... It is your destiny. And you look at the chances that Inter missed. Jim Proudfoot said it on a couple of occasions in commentary. Maybe City's name is on the trophy. And I think over the course of the season, probably over the course of the last few seasons, you can't argue that Manchester City have been the best team in Europe. I'm not going to compare trebles. You'll ask me to. 99 was United's time. 2023 is City's time. Enjoy it, City fans. Yeah, I, I won't ask you to compare it because I think it's pointless, really. And I think it's been done to death now. The fact is, is that when Manchester United won the treble in 1999, it was a terrific achievement. And everybody, I think, who was involved in football at the time, whether they're a Manchester United fan or not, clapped their hands and said, well done, that is impressive. And I think you have to say that about Manchester City as well. I think you have to say that they, they've constructed a team that play beautiful football most of the time. Now, speaking to some of the guys um, over the weekend, the feeling was in the dressing room that they were just so tired which is why I think the FA Cup final was a little bit 
like it was, that they weren't at their ultimate best, Scott. And the same in the Champions League final, they weren't at their ultimate best because they played a lot of games at a high intensity over the course of the season. It has taken its toll. And really, the last two matches were just about getting over the line. But in order to do that, you have to have something innate. You have to have a drive. You have to have an energy. You have to have an inner desire that sets you apart from everybody else. And I think Manchester City have that. Yeah, you have to have that mental strength that if things aren't going your way in playing the beautiful football, you know, that you can still find a way to win, which is what Manchester United had, you know, back in 99. Listening to Rodri's on-pitch post-match interview, and he was saying about, I played terrible first half and I had to tell myself, don't worry, go out and go again. And a lot of people would have crumbled in that situation because you're you're red-hot favourites. You're not playing well against a team that you should be beating. And actually, they're probably the better side or certainly their tactics are are doing better in, in that first half. And yet they find a way to win. So, yeah, I agree with, with, with both of you. There's no point in trying to compare the trebles. Both absolutely fantastic. But, you know, this Manchester City side, the way they're playing the football, you know, I, I think is second only to Barcelona that I've seen before. And, and maybe Liverpool of the early 80s. Yeah, would you accept that, Crook, that they play slightly better football than Manchester United from 1999? I think it's a different type of football. It's um, it's less chaotic than United were in 99. But in some ways, you know, that, that added to the drama, the number of times United had to come from behind that they weren't as defensively resolute as this Manchester City side are. So if you're talking about controlling games, I think City do it better than any team I've ever seen. They almost bore the opposition into submission because they keep the ball so well. So, yeah, technically, they're probably a better side. But, you know, all sorts of elements have to come in line, don't they? Character, mental fortitude, as Scott has already alluded to, that never-say-die attitude that certainly both these teams have had in their spades. So, yeah, maybe technically this Man City side is better, but I enjoyed the roller coaster ride of 99, I, I tell you. I, I take it now. Once again, a lot has been written over the weekend about the fact that they have been accused of being in breach of the rules. They've been charged by the, the FA and the Premier League with 115 different breaches. And that's been hanging over them for a little while now. Does it tarnish the achievement? Because the one of the things that... I, I mean, listen, I, in the end, I deleted a tweet. I said, congratulations to Manchester City. Phenomenal achievement. Well done. Literally, that was it. And the amount of response mm. about the 115 charges, the, the fact that they, they'd broken the rules, even though they're still unproven that. I mean, they've been charged, but it hasn't gone through the full process yet. The, the, the vitriol from other fans was quite... It took me aback, actually. It, took, it, it did actually take me aback. And I don't think... It, it, I mean, social media is never a great barometer of uh, what everybody feels. And I'm sure that there are people who can sit back, watch this and, and, and look at the way that Manchester City play and appreciate it and yet still raise the question. They're intelligent enough to raise the question, um, are they doing the right thing behind the scenes? Well, but I think a lot of fans have sort of put an asterisk next to it. Is, is that is that fair? Is, is that what they've done? Yeah, there's a little bit of jealousy attached to, to any team uh, achieving what Man City have. But it was interesting that the narrative from a lot of the journalists, the, the, the British written press in the stadium, was along those lines, you know, did mention the 115 charge. And I think you, you can't take it in mm-hmm. isolation. I think you can separate it. I think it will hang over Manchester City as a football club until they've proven their innocence and, you speak to people at City, Sam, I do on a regular basis, and they are steadfast that they will be proved innocent and that there's nothing to see here. But they need to get that done sooner rather than later because otherwise the questions will remain. However, I think it's slightly unfair on the players themselves that there's an asterisk because ultimately they've gone out on the pitch and they've delivered in spades. And I think it's a little bit unfair on the fans as well that people are trying to chuck stones at them. When you look at what Manchester City fans have suffered in the shadows of Manchester United for so long, going all the way down... Uh, to the third tier of English football. You know, people I was speaking to outside the stadium, we were asking, what's your lowest moment as a City fan? Almost to a man, the older generation said, York away in in Division 2. So I think those City fans who've stayed loyal, they're a tremendous fan base. They deserve their moment in the sunshine. I think it's a little bit harsh on them that these charges are being used as as sticks to beat them with. But I I think genuinely, I think we, we can't not talk about it. It is a very substantial elephant in the room. Um, Crook was um, very, very um, 
clued up on the city history there, Scott. Did you notice that? Either he'd done a lot of research going into the weekend or he's turning into to Mr. Manchester. You know, he, he wants, wants a red, now he's a blue. Definitely not that. I'll tell you what, that's the way he came across. He's been very nice this morning, isn't he? Yes, to, to yeah. And in particular, it's unlike Crookie. Okay, mm-hmm. mate, you're not feeling too well. Crookie. Are you okay? <laughs> Do you know what it is? I, I was told a few weeks ago that Paul Dickoff, of all people, has got it in his head that I hate Manchester City. I really don't. You know, growing up, the rivalry was United and Liverpool. So I, I don't have this bitterness towards Manchester City. I don't think a lot of United fans do, actually, to be honest. There's a lot of people that think you pick yeah. on them. Well, there's a lot of very thin-skinned you know, people was... in the world. That's what it tells us, isn't it? I, I was out with someone last night who uh, who thinks you pick the, on them. Go on, who's that? Did you not see my picture that I sent you? Oh, <laughs> Mr. Gunn. We made up. We had a little hug a few weeks ago. We're fine. Are, are you mates now? <laughs> Brian Gunn. Yeah. I still think there's a little I, bit of business I bet you there. didn't mention me at all. I'm sure it wasn't the first thing that came out of your mouth when you met him. First thing I said. <laughs> um, <laughs> talk to me about the Manchester City supporters who uh, have accused UEFA of taking them for granted after their abysmal oh. treatment in Istanbul. Um, getting to the ground and getting away from the ground was a big thing. It was right? horrific. And um, because we were filming in and around Istanbul city centre, we arrived at the ground a lot later than the commentary team. To be fair to Adrian Durham and Jim Proudfoot, they were in situ for nine hours before kickoff, which was the UEFA guidelines. They were telling fans to get to the fan park at the stadium nine hours before kickoff. Well, that's great. Well, that's ludicrous well, anyway, isn't it? I mean, that that's totally ridiculous. That tells you that it's the wrong choice of venue. And by the way... They ran out of Heineken uh, two hours before kickoff at that fan park. So there's your first blunder. But I've got to say, the, the, the travel was chaotic. We, we tried to go by taxi. Our taxi driver threw us out the car. He said, there's no way. I can't get there. The traffic is too bad. It was bottlenecked around the stadium. We, we saw similar scenes in Paris where City fans were sent through this bottleneck in terms of accessing the stadium by foot. We, we ended up getting a metro. The first couple of metros that came past us were so full, there were fans of Inter Milan and Manchester City hanging from windows on the metro. Once again, UEFA have made a massive blunder. The stadium is fantastic, but it's too far away from the city centre. Shuttle buses that were supposed to turn up after the game to take City fans back either to their accommodation or to the airport didn't turn up. That left thousands of people wondering how to get home. Many had to pay extortionate fees in taxis. They've got to sort it out, UEFA. Pick a stadium that has the infrastructure to host a game of this magnitude because at the moment they are failing fans time and time again. This is becoming a bit of a habit, you know, this litany of disgrace of every single time that there is a European final, them letting everybody down with the infrastructure that is around it. I mean, I, I've I've been to Istanbul. I've been to the Ataturk a couple of times, in fact. In fact, I went there quite a lot with Arsenal, with Liverpool, with Tottenham in a period where Besiktas were playing there. Um, and um, I said to Adrian before he left Prague, I said, mate, it's a nightmare there. It is an absolute nightmare. Getting around the city on any given day is really tricky. It's a massive city. It's hugely populated. The transport is chaotic at the best of times. But when you're flooding the city with thousands of people and you're getting from the centre of the city to out uh, of town, which is where the Ataturk is, God knows why it's out. I mean, I mean, God knows why they decided to use it. I honestly don't know. Because although it is a great stadium... It's it's so remote and there's nothing around it. Nothing. It's absolutely a ludicrous choice of venue. And I, I just don't understand why UEFA are continually putting themselves in a situation where they're going to get beaten up by people who are saying they can't organise uh, the logistics, which they can't. I mean, it, the, the, the situation has to change for the next Champions League final. Um, the Conference League final next year is in Dublin. Already trying to get a hotel room in Dublin is ludicrous. The, the, the cost has gone through the roof. It's it's becoming a little bit of a, a situation where it's almost like a, like a cartel where, where cities bid for these, these, these great events and then everyone hikes up their prices. Nobody does what they're supposed to do in terms of transport and logistics and we end up with a massive mess. And do you know what? We've gotten away with it so far. We have gotten away with it so far. But what happens when there's a proper disaster what happens then? Who's going to be culpable for that? 
Get your act in order now. The City fans and the Inter fans deserve an enormous amount of credit. I was stressed trying to get to the stadium. Our cameraman will testify for that. They must have been stressed as well, but they behaved impeccably in the face of quite testing circumstances. Which is good, but it shouldn't be that situation. No, and I, you know, I'll just echo what, what Cookie's just said, because that, that's pretty much what I was going to say. Look, Sam, I saw you in Prague and you know, you've got a less than 20,000-seater stadium where there's 22,000 West Ham fans at the fan park and they hold 60,000 at the London Stadium. What happened last year in Paris absolutely got away with it. There's no way this should be happening here when it could easily be foreseen. You're telling uh, Adrian, you know, a few days before, watch out, it's going to be a nightmare. How do you wait for not know this? One, absolutely relying on the goodwill of the fans and there being no arguments there between the two. And that's great to hear Cookie saying that. And two, it is going to take a disaster for this to change. And that in itself, people should be held culpable to, to the highest order. Uh, celebrations were good for Manchester City. Um, Jack Grealish obviously leading them with a can of Heineken and a boombox playing Fleetwood Mac and mocking Kevin De Bruyne in the mix zone. It doesn't get better. It doesn't get better than that, does it? I mean, look for all of their modernity and their amazing sort of um, uh, development as a football team. Jack Grealish is the, the, the about the biggest throwback footballer that history has seen. I mean, arguably, you're sort of scratching your head. How has he won the Champions League? But how good is it that he's won the Champions League? Because this guy is so relatable to every single football yeah. fan. And the fact is, is that when you see him enjoying the, 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 the fruits of his labour, he's been brilliant this season, by the way. I think he's been had his best season ever this campaign. When you see him enjoying it in the way that you would enjoy it or I would enjoy it, I think, it, I think it's heartwarming. And I think it sort of... It gives a real connection back to the fans. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, I think even neutral fans, obviously, you know, there's histrionic sometimes with Jack Grealish, but even neutral fans would have been smiling watching our footage of him with that uh, boom box and his Heineken in hand. John Stones went through the mix zone just before him, actually, and we, we tried to grab a chat with him. He said, look, guys, I'm about to have my first beer in 11 months. And I thought, well, Jack Grealish is having his first beer in about 11 minutes. Um, so some two, <laughs> two contrasting he's individuals his, there. He's having his 11th beer in about 11 <laughs> minutes. Um, but, you know, th- there's some quite likeable players in this City team. Grealish being one. I think John Stone's uh, transformation this season into the, the Barnsley-Beckenbauer has been one of the stories of the season. Nathan Ake did stop for a chat in the mix zone, as I predicted he would uh, before I went down there because he's such a, a lovely guy. And seeing his rise mm. from... Chelsea reject to Bournemouth to being doubted at Man City to actually become a mainstay in a treble winning team. I, I think that's a real feel good story as well. Then you've got the likes of Ilkay Gundogan, who seems a genuinely good character and a, a great leader. So, you know, you need all that to come together as well. You can have all the ability in the world, but you need that team spirit, that camaraderie, and that character. I think Jack Grealish sums that up. I'll tell you what, just a few names you mentioned there. Ilkay Gundogan, I mean, how big a miss will he be if, if actually City? You know, do lose him. What a wonderful player and football intelligent player. Nathan Ake, I mean, if if, if he's smaller than Sam Crookie, are you double the size of him then? Is, is that, I'm is not, that I'm not having that he's smaller than Sam, by the way. He stood he in is. front of me and he was, you know, he still had this stature that unfortunately our esteemed host just, just doesn't have. It's not true. He's, he's smaller than me. But just going back to Jack, look, I covered the championship uh, when Villa were in the championship and I'd see him beforehand. I'd have Lee Hendry alongside me as a guest or whatever. and We'd go and meet Jack. And it, honestly, just such a lovely kid. And you can see, really, he's, he is almost what everybody wants to be that is as a professional footballer because he's still playing as a kid. He's still got that mindset. When you become a professional footballer, it, it's not just football. It, it's all that everything that comes with it. He's somehow been able to put that to one side. Now, sometimes it's got him into trouble off the field, but you know what you're getting with him. He's a really good kid who just loves playing football. You know, would be great in the dressing room. And I'm really pleased for him. He's one of City star players this season. Might not sink in till uh, later in the week. In fact, they're off to uh, another big parade on Monday. They're going from Deansgate through the City of Manchester up towards uh, St. Peter's Square, sort of in a big loop all the way back to a stage where they will, uh, it, well, they're expecting, Great Manchester Police are expecting around about 150,000 people uh, to be on the streets of Manchester. On there was half Monday. a million in 99, Sam. I don't want to ram that home too much, but, you know, just, just worth comparing. <laughs> 
Let's hear from uh, Pep Guardiola, who's been talking about the reasons uh, for City's rise and probably most of it being down to one man, Sheikh Mansour. Listen, one of the, the main reasons why this club became what we are is because people from Abu Dhabi, Sheikh Mansour, take over the club. Without that, we would not be here. They're the most important people. And after, I would say, uh, one idea, it doesn't matter which one, and during many, many ways, follow, follow this one. So not for winning the Premier League, so not winning the Premier League, lose the Champions League, we, we change the, what we believe what is the best. They support me unconditionally in the, in the defeats in this competition. When many clubs when they happen, you are sacked. And it was completely the opposite. That's why I give incredible credit to my hierarchy, my sport director, my CEO. Because when you give, you give a message to the players, to all of you, to the fans, to say, this is, this is the way. But that, honestly, I'm not going to be confused for the fact today we could have lost the game. And it will be the same. But in the past, when we lose the game, it were a failure, it were a disaster, and it were a losers, and these kind of adjectives. So we are the same, absolute people. This year, it was written in the stars, so this, this year, Manchester City must win. And of course, win Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and Inter Milan, it's because we deserve it. Obviously, a lot of talk in the build-up to it was about Erling Haaland and him being the difference in terms of City winning and not winning the Champions League this season. You caught up with his dad, didn't you? And his dad doesn't really speak to anyone. Not since he was thrown out of uh, the Bernabeu, anyway. That was that was really surreal. We, we were actually out to, to investigate you know, the issues City fans were having getting into the game. So we were walking towards the main entrance. And I said to our cameraman, that's... That's Erling's dad. And he went, no, no, it's just a guy with a Harlan shirt on. I said, no, no, that, that's definitely Alfie. And he was just sat on the steps, minding his own business. I think with um, Harlan's girlfriend, smoking a cigar, even before the game. So he was in quite a relaxed mood. And I said, Alfie, any, you know, any chance of a word for talk sport? And he said, well, does Simon Jordan still think Erling's underrated? I said, oh, I don't listen to anything Simon says. Anyway, he did it. And then he spotted the camera. He said, well, this is on film. I said, yeah, yeah, but don't worry. Just ignore it. It's in the background. And at the end of it, he said, you got me there because I've not spoken to anybody else. And it was a, a really nice chat just about how proud he was of his boy. Are you sure it was Erling, his uh, dad? It wasn't just some random, was it? <laughs> He's quite a distinctive character. He's quite did, a you distinctive rever- character. did you reverse Google the pictures? Because I'm slightly worried that you've just got some bloke with blonde hair. <laughs> and glasses. And, and a Norwegian <laughs> stroke <laughs> Manchester accent. No, it was, it was definitely him. But yeah, I mean, it, Did you have a cigar with him in the end? Uh, I didn't, I, I politely said, enjoy your evening and, and made my way off. I was very grateful he spoke to us because you say he, he's become he very media shy, hasn't he, since Erling arrived in England? Absolutely. Um, look, he's, he's been very good sort of behind the scenes, sort of uh, filling us in on different bits and pieces, but not very good at uh, sort of sitting in front of a camera or a microphone. Um, although he did once send us a, uh, a voice note when everyone was getting in a sort of knickers in a twist about whether or not you should call him Erling Haaland or Erling Haaland. And he just shouted down the phone, it's Haaland. <laughs> that was it. So ever since then, funnily enough, we've just been calling him Haaland. Um, a word on Inter, arguably the better side at times during that match and, and, you know, getting chances that I don't think many people got. Maybe not the better side. I think maybe we sort of, I think you should just say they played above themselves. They were brilliant in comparison to what everybody thought that they were going to be. I must admit, I did a piece um, earlier in the sort of build-up to the game, saying, look, if you think Manchester City are going to turn up to this game and it's a foregone conclusion, you're mistaken. This team have a plan. They will keep it very tight. And I actually said, I remember doing the preview piece, saying, I think by the time we get to 60 minutes, this will still be a match. That You know, Manchester City, I think, will go on and win it. But by 60 minutes, it will still be very, very tight. And it took that long for Manchester City to break them down. They didn't have too many chances in the match Manchester City. But when the chances did come for Inter Milan, Scott, my word, did they fluff their lines. And Lukaku in a major game again was a, was a huge part of that. Yeah, look, first of all, we've got to give a lot of credit to Inter. And I do think sometimes there is a little bit of snobbery about the Premier League and any team. In fact, someone, in fact, someone who works for Talk Sport, I won't mention any names, um, look, said to me ahead of the Oh, we should... Oh, it was, it was the Moose. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said, "No, we should beat them. We, uh, you know, um, blah 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 blah. You know, it's it was it was actually about sort of West Ham initially. No, it's the Premier League, so you know we should be beating a team in Syria. I said it doesn't work like that. 
I said, and and I said, you know, I've talked about the intergame as well. I said, it'll be tough. It won't be easy. Um, credit to Inzaghi because the tactics absolutely spot on. City were a little bit nervous, but the tactics were spot on. And then the chances at the end. I mean, there's nothing the manager can do about that. If he was playing, he would have stuck it in the back of the net. And it's not even so much the missed chance for Lukaku because I could see what he was trying to do, sort of power it in. And so it, 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 very easy for me to say he should be guiding it into the sort of inside of the side netting. But it's more just the fact that he wasn't picked. You know, he was the, he was the guy to come on the, uh, off the bench rather than uh, starting, and that tells me from a Chelsea point of view. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with him, but my goodness me, he's, he's not had the storming season that you'd expect for Chelsea fans to say, this is our striker, let's go again. They'll, they'll be praying, won't they? They'll be praying that he's one who the people in Saudi Arabia fancy because otherwise they're in big trouble, Chelsea. They've got this 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 player who cost an awful lot of money. He's got, what, three years left on his contract. He's their top earner. On that performance, you wouldn't touch him with a barge pile. I've got to say, I thought he was awful, Lukaku. He's had fitness problems all season. Uh, he came to sort of form towards the end of the campaign. But I mean, it just summed up, I think, that cameo performance on Saturday night just summed up the season that he's had, which is missing chances and just didn't look... He, he looked out of place. Mm. I mean, when the ball came into the penalty area for the DeMarco chance and it ends up getting... He ends up clearing it. I mean, you're, mm. you're, you're literally... Your head is in your hands saying... Get out of the way. Just get out of the way. What are you doing? Yep. And listen, we can sit here from the sidelines quite easily and say that. And in the chaotic moment, the instantaneous second where that ball drops, that is not an easy thing to do. But it, it, I think it is just a tale of his luck that he just found himself in the wrong position. He didn't get set for the header. And he just didn't look, he just didn't look on top form on Saturday night, which is a... A real issue for him, but they have got a bad situ- situation themselves. Inter, in terms of financially, they they've got a very unpopular owner. Um, they've had a couple of seasons where they've sold their best players. They'll probably have to cash in on one or two again next season, and, and it'd be interesting to see what happens because I think that, that that side will end up getting broken up. A final one on 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 Lukaku. You're right about the luck, but when you're when you when you're in the zone, when you're playing really well, when you when you're in form, you know what's around you. Mm. And you kind of instinctively know to get out the way or you're not going to make it. There's someone behind you to get out the way. And that's where Lukaku is. Sorry, Chris, you're gone. No, the point Sam made there about the team being broken up. I mean, I think it's, it's common knowledge that Lataro Martinez will be sold. Chelsea, uh, ironically, one of the clubs looking at him. Real Madrid as well. Anana has suitors in the Premier League and beyond. I thought he had a, a really good game underlining himself as one of the best keepers in Europe. And that's why going through the mix zone, I saw Simone Inzaghi. He was gutted. And he was devastated because he knew. I, I mean, you, you sort of sat on the fence, Sam. I, I think Inter were the better team over ninety minutes, and maybe that surprised him. But City know that they're going to that be was competing a for Euro- he knows European it was a Cups. Chance. Yeah, because City are going to be there again. Inter, probably not, are they? No, not for a little while. Um, it's been thirteen years since their last Champions League final. They may have to wait similar sort of time again. Uh, Manchester City. Um, the treble champions, they're on their parade this Monday night. And when they come back in July or whatever, before the next start of next season, they'll be favourites to win everything. Again, I would have thought. Um, but how are other teams going to compete with them? What are they going to do uh, to try and give themselves a power up? Let's find out as we get into all the transfer news and manager- managerial ongoings. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on talk sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Well, Arsenal finally tied down Saliba to a, a new deal. What's the latest on their uh, big acquisition for Declan Rice, Crook? Yeah, we're expecting that to, to uh, ramp up. Uh, I've been quite steadfast on this, despite the interest from Bayern that Arsenal are Declan Rice's preferred destination. I think it's going to come down to money. Uh, Jim White revealed a couple of weeks ago that West Ham are looking for 100 million up front, rising to 120. That's more than Arsenal would usually pay. And I think their initial offer will be a lot less than that. I can see them maybe coming in at 80 with the potential to get up to 100 with add-ons. But I, th- I think this one probably will happen. It's going to be a midfield revamp for Arsenal. Granit Xhaka uh, on his way probably uh, to Bayer Leverkusen. And it's fascinating because if we'd sat here a year ago, at that time, you know, we didn't expect Arsenal to be top four contenders, let alone challenge for the title, and said, oh, Declan Rice has got his heart set on a move to Arsenal. We might have thought he was slightly mad when you look at the, the calibre of other clubs in the Premier League that you could go Well, to. it's interesting you say that because a, um, a former Premier League um, manager said to me the other week, why is he going to Arsenal after they've had one good season? Are they going to have a season like this Again, have we just seen the rebirth of Arsenal and they're now going to be title contenders going forward? Or is he maybe making a slight mistake here, deciding to go to a club that are probably going to be fighting for a top four for the foreseeable future, Scott? What do you think? No, look, I mean, I've got a question for, for Crookie, actually, before I sort of answer that. But why not Manchester United? Why aren't they coming in for him? Because they don't money. know who the owner is and they haven't got yeah. any money at this moment in time. Because until that situation is sorted, they cannot spend the kind of levels of cash that they need to spend in order to get Declan Rice over the line. They definitely want a striker as well. And they want another centre-half. So in order to be able to do all of those deals, they've got to get this takeover which is not going to be a takeover. It's going to be a huge investment by Jim Ratcliffe, I think, uh, over the line. But this is Manchester United we're talking about. There should be, there is a surplus of funds and, you know, whoever the, the owners are. And if you're going for Mason Mount, and I, I you know what I think about Mason Mount, Sam, the same as you, I think they probably need a Declan Rice a, a little bit more. So, OK, you, you say it's finance. I still think they can do it. But look, no, I, I, I'm... I'm I'm actually thinking that while Arsenal missed the boat big time in terms of winning the title and, and who knows, because you do think it was the perfect storm with all the other teams, bar City, not doing particularly well. I do think Arsenal are very much on the up. You know, you, you've got players now who have had a taste of going for the title, who now knows what it's like from a mental point of view to, to try and see yourself over the line will be better next time. But I'm not saying they'll definitely finish second or, or even really go for the title. I think it's, it's down to City. I said before, if they did win the treble, which they have now, you've got the best manager in the world to try and go again, but no team has ever won four consecutive top-flight English titles. You're talking about making, making complete history here. Yeah. So... I actually think they're going to be down 1% or 2%. No more than that, but 1% or 2%. I think Arsenal are very much on the up, like I think Liverpool will be. I think Chelsea will be. Newcastle, I think, if they finish top four, will have done very, very well. And I think United will be on the up as well. But in terms of Declan Rice, for me, I think United would have been the, the better move for him. I, I think there's more chance of that step towards winning the title if they get that striker in and the centre-half as well. But But Arsenal are very much on the up as well. And and he will add to them. He's bordering on world class. So for me, I think it's a very good move for Arsenal, but I still think it's a very good move for Declan Rice as well. Um, be interesting to see what West Ham do to try and replace him because they have been linked with Jean Polinia, who was terrific for Fulham last year. Brilliant bit of recruitment uh, by Fulham to bring him in. The Fulham fans not happy about the idea that he could switch uh, West London for East London. That is for sure. But that's something that they are definitely pursuing. And it has been for a while, actually. Uh, Spurs have been linked with a move for Jane Sancho, but they're a little bit further down the line with David Raya, aren't they? I think they're, they're almost close to a, a, agreeing a fee with Brentford and uh, they see him as a long-term replacement for uh, Hugo Lloris, who is going to leave. 
I think the fee's still a stumbling block, though. Um, speaking of people closely connected to that situation, Brentford are quite adamant they want £40 million for a player who's only got a year left on his contract. So I think there's still a bit of negotiating to be done. But you're right, David Raya is certainly Tottenham's top target. We know that he's ready to, to move on now. I think Brentford have already signed a goalkeeper in preparation for his departure. So I, I think that will happen uh, between now and the start of the season. But I think there's still a bit of haggling to be done over the fee. Uh, what's the situation with uh, Yuri Tielemans? Good move for him? I think so. I mean, if I was a Leicester fan, I'd feel let down by Tielemans this season because I think he, I think he gave up. You know, he knew he, he knew he was leaving. He let his contract run down. Didn't look particularly fit. Uh, I think actually that lack of um, ability to get around the pitch was ultimately what stopped Arsenal from following up their interest in previous windows. So it's a fresh you won't start. Get away for him. with that under Unai Emery. Well, on a free transfer, it's almost a no-brainer for Aston Villa, and I think they will get a more motivated Yuri Tillemans. Interestingly, I was told they'd held positive talks with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well over a free transfer from Liverpool, so maybe that's one to keep an eye on. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how where he goes next because his career has sort of stumbled and sort of stuttered, really, hasn't it, over the last few years. Injuries have really affected him quite badly. James Madison, Newcastle and Tottenham leading the charge for him. Um, it's not the only Leicester player that Newcastle are interested in. That means they're also looking at uh, Harvey Barnes as well, as far as I understand it. Is that how you see it, Crook? Yeah, although again, there's budgetary issues there. Um, I think the Daily Mail ran a piece, Craig Hope, very well connected at the end of last week, saying they'd only spend £75 million, which is kind of what we've been saying for a while. I think people expect now they're in the Champions League, they've got the Saudi cash, they're going to go out and spend £250 million in a window. That's not the business model. Um Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. I don't think they were planning on signing Alexander Isak um, until the owners loosened the purse string and said, come on, we, we need this guy. He's going to make us better. So there's still that caveat. But I think if they have only got £75 million or less, Madison's a problem because Leicester demanding up to £60 million. Are Newcastle are going to spend all their budget on one player? Uh, I broke the story on Talk Sport last week. The Tottenham have already started talks with Leicester. Uh, again, £60 million probably is a bit high for them. So this is one that might rumble on a while. Yeah, I really can see Tottenham spending £60 million on uh, James Madison, David Raya and uh, a central defender, which is what they really need over the course of this transfer window. Go on, Sam. I've I've got to say, I will be absolutely flabbergasted if Newcastle only spends £75 million. Yeah, so will I. Um, I think they'll sign Scott McTominay as well, by the way. Uh, They're keen on him. Yeah. They've, They've just got into the top four. They now know that other teams around them are spending big as well. This is their opportunity to really kick on. And if they only spend £70 million or if they don't spend a lot and they finish outside the top four, who knows when they're going to be in the top four again? Or what should I say? They have to then go for it. At some point, they'll have to go for it. They're doing it organically. Okay, they're they're a little bit ahead of time, probably two years ahead of time now. But this is the moment now. This is the moment to get your Champions League players in. I'm not saying get absolute stars like a Neymar or anything like that but you have to now readdress it and say, look, we've got a real chance here. We need to stay in the top four. We're offering Champions League football. And who knows, in a year or two, we can go in for the title itself. Yep, you never know. Um, How much of a issue or otherwise is the rise of investment in Saudi Arabian club football, Crook? Because Jose Mourinho has been linked with a move there at the weekend. You've got players moving there for huge sums of money. Angolo Conte's already gone. Uh, Benzema is already gone. Neymar has been linked this morning as well. Um, is this a huge disruption into European football, do you think? Is, is this something that they can sustain? Well, there's obvious comparisons to be made to when China did this. Uh, the difference is that Saudi Arabia have got tons and tons of cash. So yeah, I, I think it is an issue um, for European clubs. I mean, Real Madrid weren't planning on carrying Benzema uh, to leave the Bernabeu. And, you know, it's an extreme situation that somebody would have started as the first choice striker for probably the biggest club in European football, suddenly up sticks to playing a pub league. Let's be honest. You know, I'm going to say no disrespect to the Saudi Arabian League, but I mean every disrespect to the Saudi Arabian League. You've got the, the Conte situation I mean, it's probably probably never going to be a pub league, though, isn't it? Really, I mean, 
the most unlikely thing it would be compared to is a public, bearing in mind there's absolutely no chance of anybody going to the pub afterwards. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but 100 million a year for Angolo uh, Conte, you just can't stay fit. You know, how many games are they going to get for their 100 million a year? Zaha has an offer from Saudi Arabia as well, which I understand is It's not is about that, him. though, is it? It's about saying, we've got this player, this player, this yeah. player, this player, this player, this player, and this player. So watch what we're doing. So the TV companies go, do you know what? Someone's got to get the rights for this because basically some of the biggest players in the world are going to get there. And if that keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening, eventually, not now, not in 10 years' time, maybe in 15 years' time, maybe the balance of power eventually shifts. I don't know. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I think it's happen, a shorter-term goal than that, That's their plan. I think their plan is to get the 2030 World Cup, is it not? That's what this is all geared towards. Yeah, but you don't do that by buying loads of players. I mean, Qatar managed to get a a World Cup without spending billions and billions on, you know, almost They spent it in other areas, though, didn't they? <laughs> they may well have done. But, you know, they, they, I think it is a longer-term plan. I mean, the whole idea of Saudi Arabia, they want it to become a, a tourist destination, which is why they keep buying up all these sporting events and, and, and big sporting entities. That That is the plan. So it's, it's in, it is... It's amazing in the amount of money. I mean, there is a huge amount. That public investment fund has got a huge amount of money to spend on acquiring sports rights, different sorts of entertainment entities in order to try and, I suppose, secure the future of Saudi Arabia when the oil runs out. I mean, I don't know how long the oil's going to be around for, but it is a sort of economic model, isn't it? They're trying to to ensure they've got a place in the world, a seat at the at the uh, the top table once in a hundred years time or whenever it is the, the oil does disappear yeah no and, and i think qatar have been trying to do the same as well haven't they as you as you, you kind of mentioned and look I, I think the 2030 world cup is definitely within their sights and and one of the reasons why they're doing it the here and now but yeah they don't want to rely on their oil i mean i heard someone say the other day they're worth 650 billion so i'd suggest they've probably got a good few years ahead of relying on the oil but you know, nothing lasts forever. So why not try and, you know, plant some seeds elsewhere? That's exactly what they're trying to do. Can it become the new sort of Premier League? Well, it's very, 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 very doubtful. But if they do keep it, keep up uh, and, and buying these top players, you're right, Sam, so the broadcasters will, will need to get over there and, and start covering it at least. Yep. Um, I think it's really interesting because you've had sort of loads of what, what I suppose the Premier League will see as upstart leagues spring up that, that try to sort of steal eyeballs. So China obviously went down the road of sort of playing huge amounts of money to superstars. It didn't work out. They then pulled the money out of that, realised that the investment wasn't working. You had the MLS that had this sort of 20, 30 years ago, this desire to sort of make a splash. So sort of had odd rules that were more exciting, the odd penalty sort of stuff that was going on initially. But then they sort of had the uh, the, the, the sort of designated player rule where you had this huge superstar that were playing every single team and then other players around them um, and then they decided you know we need to sort of expand that and slowly but surely the MLS very sensibly has sort of built itself slowly to a point where it's become a, an attractive destination for players that are coming to the end of their careers or players that haven't quite got to the level that they were hoping to the level of the games has improved the fan culture which is the important thing because basically as we all know Football is nothing unless you have that fan culture, right? So unless you have the rivalries, unless you have the sort of grudge matches, unless you have something to fight for, it doesn't happen. You, it, it, there has to be some sort of like organic feeling. And the MLS have done that really well over the course. Some of it's manufactured, but now it's become sort of part of the culture. They've done that really well. And they've, they've won this game because what they've done is they've been very cute They've signed a huge deal with Apple, which goes for 10 years. And at the end, well, the middle of the first year of that Apple deal, they have signed the biggest superstar in world football. So now you're going to have two competing power bases where there are players that want to rush to join Messi and there are players that want to rush to go and get the cash. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think for some of the European leagues, maybe for La Liga, really importantly, maybe for Serie A, that are going for a rebranding exercise, and the Premier League, you've got to be very, very careful that things don't run away from you. 
I'll tell you what I would say as well in terms of the MLS. I mean, you're right about the rivalry and the tribalism that, that makes it certainly in this country and other countries around Europe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Saudi Arabia will have that, although they will be, they have got the cash to, to try and, you know, bring very, very good people in coming to the end of the career. The moment the MLS take the handbrake off in terms of wages or, you know, um, budgets, that's one that can compete with any league in the world, I'll tell you, because what a place to live and, and what a market they've got. Yep, I agree with you. Um, keep your eyes on that. What's happening with James Ward Prowse, Crook? Just tell us because I know that um, he's one of your golfing buddies. <laughs> I think it will drag on uh, again with Ward Prowse because Southampton are asking for quite high fees uh, for their players, as I understand it. And while there's a lot of interest from from clubs in Ward Prowse, they're not going to pay £52 million for a player who's, what, 28, just been relegated. So uh, I think Southampton are going to have to be more more realistic. And this could be one where I could envisage a scenario where James Ward Prowse starts the season in the Championship as a Southampton player and then goes before the end of the transfer window to a Premier League club. Okay, Crookie, and I will be back next Monday morning with Scott as we uh, look at all the big Premier League news. We'll do it every single Monday throughout the course of the summer. We'll be talking about the England games as well, uh, reflecting on their performances uh, against Malta and North Macedonia. And uh, then we'll, uh, well, I think, we're, are we doing White? Are you doing White and Jordan with me next week? Are you, uh, are you off next week? Is it no, no, I'm in, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Portugal next week. Of course you are. Of course you are. When are you, have you got a residency yet? <laughs> the application's in the post. <laughs> I bet it is. Uh, Scott, thank you very much. Have a good week. We'll see you soon. Damn, I'm off to golf now. Um, and you can go back to the after party. I'm going to bed, mate. I am finally going to bed. The season is over. <laughs> Stick that. To, actually, you know what? I fancy a bit of a bacon sandwich and a bop. Uh, right, I'll see you later. Uh, that was the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Make sure you leave a review on whatever website it is that you've downloaded this from. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.